we switch to this Mark Lai subject? Did you read anything about that, Driscoll? Nah, zero. Fill me in. <laughs> I don't watch the golf channel. I don't have a TV. Yeah. Uh, see, this is why I love James, dude. This is why I, I always love Driscoll, dude. And this is Will Wilcox. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Jim Renner on the 15th hole. His third shot. You yeah. bet. Welcome to episode two of Tier Time. I'm super excited about this episode. We've got longtime PGA Tour player James Driscoll, who's also from Boston, just like our, our boy and co-host Jim Renner. Been looking forward to this one. And yeah, we've got some fun things to talk about. The news has been going off in the past week with the SGL and everything between Phil's statements of obnoxious greed and all the things that are going on overseas and all the events that are happening. And it just it just seems like it's a constant stream of content so that's what we got driscoll on here to talk about we got to uh, talk about our relationship and uh, our time on tour together and uh, yeah i think we should just go ahead and get it rolling now welcome james my pleasure buddy two of my favorite humans right here renner and wilcox Heck, yeah. it's as good as it gets dude i miss jupiter so much but yeah let's i mean i think we should start off with the super golf league over overseas i mean what's your take on that driscoll i feel like i probably should read the news more yeah oh really oh a lot of the details about yeah. for golf league i've heard a little bit about it like very little like i know they're offering some guys i guess did they i don't know if it was rumor or fact they offered bryson just like a boatload of money and if he goes over and starts to play some of those events is he basically forever banned Playing on the PGA Tour, he forfeit he forfeits his ability to captain the Ryder Cup, to play in majors, playing PGA Tour events, and it's just he gets the bag of money and then he rides into the Saudi sunset. Yeah, that's exactly it. And the same thing with Phil Mickelson, Henrik Stenson, Paul Casey, and Poulter. It's it's just a, you know the tour is just going to be you know I don't want to say a shell of what it was, but it's they're going to lose a lot of superstars. So yeah, that's basically what's going on. I mean, they're all they're gonna they're gonna spend 1.5 billion getting these guys there. What's the tour gonna do to keep them from going? Is there anything they can do, or or is it just basically like, okay, we don't have the kind of like we're not gonna guarantee these guys money like this? It sounds like the Super Golf League is gonna do. So it's just like, yeah. good luck. Like, is that how it's gonna work? The Super Golf League is is kind of like a draft. I mean, yeah, like I don't think they can do anything if they decide to bail, then that's it, and they're going to be gone. So it's just a, do, a crazy deal. I do, from what I've, from the little bit I've heard, yeah, is that it's going to be one of those things that, like, I feel like nobody wants to be the first, even with like Bryson. I mean, you hear these rumors of him getting offered like all this type of money, and obviously the list, like Will just ran off, but it's, uh, I feel like. You know, sometimes being first in a situation like that comes with a lot of heat. So it should be interesting to see, like, who exactly does come forward and actually, you know, to see this thing through, because it should be interesting on how this goes, because then say if this thing crashes and burns, then where does this leave some of these guys? But for older guys, it certainly makes sense, I feel, because there are a lot of those guys that you listed are on the tail end of their career. And I mean, it's a money grab. I mean, it'd be almost silly not to take it, but... For a lot of guys that, you know, Bryson, obviously, he wants to solidify himself in golf history. And, you know, with that, there's majors that are clearly on his mind. But it would be interesting to see how that does come through with some of the decisions that these guys are going to have to make. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's life altering for guys in their 20s. And, and Phil seems to be pretty sour about the whole thing, you know, with not having access to his likeness. But I know tour players... You know, when you get on the tour, you don't own your likeness anymore. You know, that's never been a situation that there wouldn't be, you know, there'd have to be like a Tiger Woods channel and a Phil Mickelson channel, you know, there wouldn't be the golf channel. So, and I think these tours would crash and burn if these guys left. So that's what's so odd about the whole thing. And, you know, it's, I've heard the term sports washing just to, you know, make Saudi Arabia look a little more, you know, acceptable in the, the global scheme things so it's something that is is just very uh confusing and i'm sure those guys they've got so much to think about and, and do but but driscoll you haven't been following it much eh 
No, I've heard, like I said, I, I, it's actually, this has been rumors. I mean, Greg Norman was talking about something like this like 30 years ago. Yeah. And I don't know if he's involved. Is he involved in this? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like spearheading the whole thing. And that's okay. what I always said. I, like when I first started following golf, it was like Greg Norman wanting to like, you know, do this For world sure. tour and stuff like yeah. this. And then next thing you know, the PGA Tour and the world golf. And obviously there's all these rumors of like, say, Greg not getting along with like, say, Fincham or whatnot. But yeah. either way, it seems like he's kind of doing maybe what he intended, which I mean, you have to remember when that all came about, right, James? Yeah, I remember. I mean, honestly, this has been, he's been talking about this I don't want to say the 90s and be like, am I exaggerating? Yeah, no, not at all. That, I remember that a long time ago. And obviously, isn't that amazing that he's been, I don't know if he's been working at it consistently for that long, but it's obviously been on his mind for that long. For him to finally kind of execute this, it's kind of, I mean, that's huge, man. He's shaking up, he is shaking up professional golf more than, shoot, you know, anybody in this way. It, it, I can't even think of any, no, has this ever had, like nothing like this has ever happened in the history of really the PGA tour, but them to be threatened like this and their product to be potentially like, I don't like cut in half. Like if you're taking out all the studs, like what do you got left? Yeah, you got, they're, they're going to take away, like their plan is to take away the top 40 guys, basically. And we're left with. No, and, and I mean, one of the things I feel like that is, you know, maybe for like the unknown person or whatnot, but they say all of a sudden they said, hey, you guys play on the you guys play on the PGA Tour. What does the PGA Tour give you for money? And the answer is always zero. Like the PGA Tour isn't exactly giving you money where it seems like this tour is like giving these players whatever they want. It's a wish list of like the content thing and then they're going to have guaranteed money. And I mean, like you said, James, I mean, no one has the PGA tour ever even really feel threatened. Absolutely not. I mean, and I feel like Greg has kind of found that guy or money or that avenue that he can disrupt things and he's going to get guys paid. I mean, and that's a crazy thing in this game where there is not guaranteed contracts where there all of a sudden there may be. And that's a big difference in the PGA tour, I feel. Yeah. yeah, I wonder how the customer feels though. Like, what is the audience? Does the audience, does the consumer of golf, like, watches golf? I think they like the fact that there isn't guaranteed money. I think that's one of the draws to watching golf is like these yeah. guys putting their, you know, necks on the line every week to try to get paid. And I think that's like part of the appeal from a fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can lose your job in, in the blink of an eye. That's the tough part about the PGA Tour is keeping your card. Oh, and then, I mean, it, you know, you watch with other sports. Like, I always joked with, like, a few of my friends how, you know, in baseball, guaranteed money, you've got guys playing on five different, you know, playing five teams removed from a team that's still paying them, you know. Yeah. And I'd always kind of laugh to myself. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, if I all of a sudden got guaranteed that type of money, I'd be, like, hated in that city. It'd be so hard for me not to, like, not be motivated again, you know? And so much of that hunger is like what you said, you don't have that guaranteed money and you have to go out there and earn it. And to a fan, I feel like that's very appealing. And all of a sudden say you're one of these guys that gets these massive contracts. I mean, then you have to really decide like, hey, is the motivation still there? You'd have to figure out, I feel a way to, you know, make that work if you still want to be super successful. And what channel? going to be on are they starting their own channel or are they like going to be on your nbc's and cbs's and or a golf channel are they starting their whole new like how are they going to get in front of eyeballs i think they're gonna i mean they've got unlimited money so i think they're going to start their whole own network because it's just like 16 events you know and so i think it's going to be a whole new network and a whole new ball of wax i mean it's just uh it, it's a wild thing that's there's a humanitarian you know women's rights aspect to it and it's just a it's a wild deal i can't wait to see i mean every day there's a new article about it so that's just one of the articles that i covered in my teardown.golf blog this week and so you know 
we don't have to spend too much time on it because there's so many question marks on it. I mean, I think I think there's just more questions than there are answers. So, you know, I think we can shift to another more, you know, whatever, a fluffy uh, topic soon because that thing just seems like there's no answers at all at this point. I mean, nobody's ma- nobody's jumped ship yet. What's their timeline? Are they talking like they want to start it in 2023 or are they when are they when's their ideal start? That's what I've heard is the 2023 start. Yeah. Okay. So it's about to get real. I mean, people are going to start to be like, you know, in the next six months, we're going to know who's going and who's not going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I say, they're willing to spend 1.5 billion just to get the players there. And then they're going to, then they got to get the, the TV rights and, you know, they switch to the Asian tour and, and congrats to HV3, by the way, for winning the thing over in Saudi Arabia. That was a bomb. That was super sick. Um, but what, what about this? How, how about we switch to this Mark Lai subject? Did you read anything about that Driscoll? Uh, Mark Lai on PGA tour XM radio losing his job. Nah, zero. Fill me in. <laughs> I don't the news, bro. <laughs> I don't watch the golf channel. I don't have a TV. Yeah. Uh, see, this is why I love James, dude. This is why I, I always love Driscoll, dude. Right here is like he just does his thing, man. This is why I love James, right? Yeah. Like, he's, nah, probably, nah, he's probably he's probably He's been surfing more. He's been surfing and he's been, you know, working on his own game. You know, he's definitely not, he's not on social media, which I love. And, but yeah, Mark Glad just got the chop, but he, well, he said that <laughs> he'd rather uh, shoot himself than watch women's golf or basketball on the air. Rather shoot, I'd rather shoot myself than watch women's golf or men's basketball or women's basketball or just basketball, any basketball. Women's, women's basketball. He's, women's he just took a shot at women's sports. Yeah, that's... uh Bald play. Pretty aggressive. Like, it's okay to think that, maybe, but it's you can't say that out loud if you're no, Mark. No, you've had a job for a long time, bro. Like, I know he's a PGA Tour winner. Just, just don't say it. Don't say it. The way he, he, um, he phrased it, he said, I'm not trying to trash anyone and don't take this the wrong way but I'd rather shoot myself than watch women's sports. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, is there that any, most, that's oh, the most there, thing you can say. Is there any worse way to like start? Like, but like, in all honesty, like, is there any worse way to start like a comment with don't take this the wrong way where like yeah. that's precisely how you're going to take it? <laughs> when you know something bad's coming. Like, you know, you're going to get a wiggle room on how to take that comment. There's not like, oh, I might take it like, like and it off. like this guy's gonna shoot himself before he watches women's yeah, golf. Yeah. Like wow, super aggressive move by him. But anyway, something that was dug up like that he said twenty years ago. What's that? Oh no, yeah, he just he just went out and went for it. He just kind of came out and said it. Like uh, that's not good, Mark. You know. Yeah, this no. was a couple of days ago. This was a couple of days ago. So anyway, but you can't be surprised to be saying that. No, not at all. But anyways, I jumped into the SGL and, and the and the Mark Live thing pretty quickly. I, how about tell our listeners a little about yourself, Driscoll? You and Renner grew up. I know you're a little bit older than Renner, but tell everybody about yourself. You're obviously a Boston amateur legend, and you kept your tour card for many years and made just shy of ten million dollars. Tell everybody about you know the years that you had on tour, and 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 I was fortunate enough to play out there with you some too, and I and always really admired your work ethic so you know what was your philosophy with golf like how did you go about your process i know it had a lot to do with physical training and grinding but what's up with your it's funny because i look back at like my years on tour and i like from the perspective i'm sitting at right now at 44 and i don't even feel like the same person i was in my 30s you know i had i guess like four years ago i had a moment on the golf course i'll never forget Pumpkin Ridge, it was, I think it was, I'm going to say like 2017 and I could be off by a year, but yeah, I, was there. I, was, I was two years removed from my last year on the PGA tour. And I was still kind of like trying to grind it out and get myself back on the PGA tour. And I was walking off the ninth tee at Pumpkin Ridge in a practice round and I was, I, I was like trying to pump myself up. I was like, you know, if you have a good week this week, this is all inside my head. I was like, if you have a good week this week, you can get into the playoffs. And then, you know, you're one good week away from getting your tour card back. Yeah. And I remember 
at the end of that last sentence, I wasn't even excited. Like yeah. I didn't even want my tour card back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I felt so unfulfilled. I felt like my years on tour were like, like a hamster. And I was like, just doing it because I was supposed to do it because I was like, I don't know. It just felt like I was just running on autopilot for so many years. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like, I, I mean, and I'm not, don't me, I don't want to sound ungrateful at all because that's like not how I, that's not how I feel. But, you know, when I was going back to the amateur golf, like I got to be the number two amateur in the country or the world, whatever that golf week ranking is, it felt more like the country than the world back in 2000 when I was in that kind of category. Yeah, now the masters. What's that? Playing the masters as an amateur. Yeah. So like really the trajectory of my career was like, you know, from the age of 13, I had my eyes set on one thing and one thing only. And that was like getting on tour, winning on tour, kicking ass on tour. Like that's all I thought about. And, and yeah, right. Like if you're not, if, that, if you're not that way, you're probably, I don't know, you're going to have a hard time getting on tour. If you're not like, you know, eating and sleeping, wake, you know, every time you wake up, you're thinking about it. Every time you go to bed, you're thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, so I got on tour and then years on tour start adding, adding up and like, you know, you're psyched. You're, for me, I was clawing though. Like I, I hardly ever had a breather. Like I was always kind of scratching to keep my card or if I finished 126 to 150 to kind of get it the next, keep my card the next year on a limited number of events, or I, I got my card back on Q school one year. Mm -hmm. So I think like looking back at my game, it wasn't, I'm not like I'm working on it now, but I've never been just like a ball striker, a guy that like, you know, would people would watch on the range and be like, Oh my God, that guy's just like a flushman. Yeah. I was more kind of, like I would scrape it around. And then a couple times a year I'd hit it good. And my short game would be good. And, you know, I'd have a good week, but for the most part, my short game was just kind of keeping me relevant and yeah. remotely relevant yeah. on tour. And, and but your putting was always quite solid. Not like every week, but I always felt like I was a good putter. Like I never felt mm -hmm. really down on my putting. There were maybe moments in my career, but it's something that I've, I don't think about, but it's like, I don't know. I've always felt pretty good about that part of my game, even just like just around the greens, just getting it in the hole, whether it's like, you know, whether it's from a bunker or a weird line up or whatever, just like make that eight footer after a weird lie in the dirt and just like make, save that bar or two in a round. And now you, uh, now you make a couple bucks. Maybe you have one good round of the weekend and finish 22nd and make a nice mm -hmm. check. But like, just going, just reiterating, like, you know, James, like being like 13 and waking up and like dreaming about and everything like that. I mean, like, I remember, you know, I remember I was caddying for my father at the Mass Am and it was the same year James had won. But James was, I mean, he's a Mass legend for everyone that like, you know, doesn't know James was the biggest Mass legend ever. He was mm -hmm. the man, you know, like he was the one like he gave like people like myself, like hope to play the PGA Tour, not even kidding. It was like, you know, watching him and like, you know, hearing about him and following him. He's always just been like a stick and he's always been so good. And I mean, I've been like lucky enough to like be able to practice with James and like, you know, become buddies with him. And, you know, he's been really cool to me, especially like, you know, just being a young guy from Mass. We have mutual friends. But I mean, there is one thing I remember, like he's just saying about a short game and stuff like that, man, whenever we would like chip and stuff like that, like we play 21 or we do whatever. I mean, I don't think I even sniffed beating him. And I mean, mm -hmm. I stink at chipping anyway, but like, <laughs> you know, but yeah. I remember like chipping with James, I'm like, man, I can't even like even sniff. Like if I beat him one game out of 10, I'll be like psyched, you know, and that would be the last game we play, by the way, and then we'd leave and then we go to the team. <laughs> yeah. Always filthy with the 60 degree. You know, just <laughs> filthy with the 60 degrees. I had a buddy of mine caddy for me. This guy named Rob Lalonde, like a hockey dude. He, uh, shout out to Bud Ends Grips. He, uh, he's got this grip. He, he does like, he actually uses like kind of a golf grip on a hockey stick. And it, his business is sneaky blowing up. But he wow. caddied, called Bud Ends. He, uh, he caddied for me one time in New York. I think it was New York. Oh, what's that? Peak and Peak, I think. Yeah. Joke about it now. <laughs> But like, I don't know how many greens I hit or missed, but like after every approach shot, it was basically like, yo, let me see that 60. Every <laughs> time 
I must have said, yo, let me get that 60. I must have said it 30 times out of 36 holes. You're like, yo, let me get that 60. <laughs> Just getting so clippy with the 60, you know? Ridiculous. And put it legendary grinder at Driscoll. <laughs> That's awesome. So, but yeah, you almost won the U.S. Amateur in, was that 2000? 2000, yes, sir. Yeah. And, By the uh, way, like, I don't know. I mean, if all the USAM, like, finals, I mean, could you get, like, a better duo than you and Quinny? <laughs> unbelievable. It was one of the best. Probably best. not. I mean, name me one that's even remotely as cool as you and Quinny. I mean, seriously. <laughs> right? I mean, not even close. It's so funny because I, 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 you know, at the time, I had never met Jeff Quinney before that match. I had never really heard, uh, maybe heard of him because he's Arizona State, but like, you know, a great player, but wasn't like a name that I was super familiar with. And so super highly ranked. I don't think he was. I don't know. But, you know, now like we spent years on tour together and, and we have so many mutual friends. Like I do call, I consider him a, a good buddy and he's, uh, he is one of a kind. He's a fun guy to be around. And, you know, all my friends ate his guts because he beat me. But I try to, <laughs> Like I try to tell people, like he's actually a great guy. Like you should stop hating him. <laughs> oh yeah, like I mean, if you hang out with Quinny, like I remember it was my rookie year on tour, and I was hanging out with you, and we hang out with Quinny and stuff like that. And I was just like, oh man, like I mean, Quinny was just like one of the funniest dudes ever. I remember like I went to the bar and I ordered Captain and Coke, and that was like the drink, you know, I I drank, and like he goes, dude, Captain and Coke, me too, like Captain and Coke, and like right yeah, then, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I love you, Quinny. You know, like automatic friends. But I mean, that's like that to me. I always cracked up with that. I'm like Driscoll and Quinny. Like, name me two better guys in the mat in the USAM final. Like, there ain't anybody better than those two. Come on. Yeah, yeah. you said a word in that final match, but you know, now <laughs> we kind of keep in touch a little bit. I haven't talked to him in a while, but we'd uh, we'd pick up we'd pick up pretty uh, smoothly if we were to hang out, say tomorrow. He's a, he's an awesome dude. Yeah, sure. I'd be right back into you know. Uh, hugs and you know whatever reminiscing but y- y'all actually made it past 36 holes right didn't it go an extra hole or two it did so it we played two extra holes that night and then we got we actually it was getting dark but there was also a storm coming in so we, there was some electricity in the air and they called it and then we came out the next morning it was the most anticlimactic moment ever because the vibe that night of the finals match was so good. Like, I was three down with three to go, win the last three holes. And, like, momentum. So sick. And and then we Dude, played. You two- had that, like, pine. What was that pine cone par thing? Oh, I remember yeah. Johnny Miller. I'm watching at my buddy's house, and his dad's watching it. He's like, oh, this kid from Brookline, you know? Yeah. And then uh, I didn't play golf at that point. But then you made, like, some. You, you hit the ball against, like, a pine cone or something, didn't you? Yeah, so I was so jacked up after 17 that I was like, all right, actually, one of my brothers, see, I walked by one of my brothers going from 17 green to 18 T, and he's like, calm down, calm down. So I like, so I get up to 18 T, and I kind of just like quit on the tee shot. I'm like, I'm so jacked up right now. I must just have to take some off the throttle because I don't want to like over. <laughs> so I flare it into the right trees, and I think Quinny hits it in the rough, not 100% sure, but. I'm in the right trees and I get to my ball. I'm like buried in, I'm in the middle of the pine trees and my balls next sitting next to a pine cone. And it's like, if I even touch this pine cone, I know the ball's going to move. So I got like nothing. All I can do is punch yeah. it out of the trees. Can't even get it back in the fairway. Meanwhile, I need to win the hole. I need to win this hole. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm lying to 140 yards in the rough. Quinny, I forget. He ends up making bogey. I get up and down from 140 from the rough, make like an eight-foot curler after making a 12-foot curler on 17, push it to extra holes, and obviously, like, the vibe is awesome. We play one extra hole. We play two extra holes. He hits the pin, actually. He's short-sided on the first or I think the first extra hole. He's short-sided, bunker shot. It's going probably 10 feet by, maybe more. Hits the pin, goes to a foot. We tie that hole. We tie the next hole. We do a little good from like two feet on the next hole. And then there, and then the sirens blew. We came out the next morning and so weird. I don't even know what time it was. It felt so early. I, you know, didn't sleep that great the night before. And then like, I actually flew it par three, knock it over the green. And he makes like a 35 footer down the hill. It was yeah, just like, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that was wild. Yeah. 
It was like a four iron par three though, wasn't it? It was long haul. Yeah, I could. I hit five iron. I'm like, shoot, it's like seven in the morning. I'm like, what? I'm, how far am I going to hit this thing? I don't know if I'm going to hit it 210 or 190. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hit it right over the middle of the green from yeah. 200 to five iron. And then he hits something, you know, just right in the middle of the green. My chip goes 10 feet by because the greens are lightning because it's straight yeah. down, hit, rolled them and triple cut them. Yeah. And then he makes his putt just right in the center. I was like, okay, well, congrats. But what else in your amateur career? Did you win like Sonny Hanna or any of that? I know you won some other, obviously the USAM was a big one. And then you shot 68 in the opening round of the Masters, which is badass. But what were your other big amateur ones? I won the North South. Yeah. yeah. I had one year, maybe my last year as an amateur that I played pretty well. in like the Sonny Hanna, the Northeast. I don't think I ever did much in the Porter Cup, but I think I was like finished top 10 in both the Sunny Hanna and Northeast Sam my last year. That's how I kind of got those points to get up there in the ranking and stuff. But obviously the USAM helps and the North South helped and, and then just played. I think I played decent in NCAAs too, but not like first, second, third, but just like enough to get some points. You know what I mean? But yeah, I was talking to Renner about this the other day, actually, like looking back at my amateur career, almost everything I won was match play. Like I don't even... Yeah. I want a stroke play tournament <laughs> you're a bulldog you're a bulldog you're built for it well it's like you start to think about why and it's like so easy to stay in the moment when you're playing a match against one other dude and it's like all right all i gotta do is tie or beat this guy on this one hole it's like how easy is it to stay in the moment then but when you're standing on the first tee on a thursday and it's like okay you know, your mind's going to go places, right? You obviously you do as much meditation and mental training as you can to stay like to kind of keep your thoughts and not in check, but just like, you know, be the master of your own mind and not just be susceptible to, you know, just all these thoughts coming and going, but they do come. And on yeah. Thursday, you, you, you might be thinking about making the cut Friday afternoon and you're not thinking about what it, all your energy isn't into how you can make a par or, or just hit that fairway. And that's kind of, I think, the necessary mentality to take into stroke play is just like, forget all that BS, forget about tomorrow's round in the cut, forget about the check you might get on Sunday, and just put everything into that one next shot. It's yeah. so easy to say, and it's easier to do in match play. I never looked ahead in match play. I never looked at who I might play in the next match because it's just like, what's up? It wasn't, that's relevant. Yeah, you're just in the moment. Yeah. So I think that's like something to learn from for me kind of going forward is like, how do I take that mentality and bring it into stroke play? It's, it's not easy to do. It's really not. No. And then I run a junior tour now and, and I'm really trying to, you know, if a kid hits a bad opening tee ball or has a bad opening hole, I've been really trying to help them uh, stay in the moment too. And that's something that I wish I could have done better when I was out there. I used to call Fridays freak out Friday. What a great mentality. That's everything. Just staying in the moment in golf and, and not worrying about what happens in an hour. Just whatever's right in front of you. That's it. That's all that matters. And it's just you versus the golf course, but more importantly, you versus that shot. So, yeah, it sounds like you're really able to take advantage of that. And the North-South, you won that in match play form, right? So That's like something like I remember like talking to James, like, you know, and about like, you know, mental and physical and like, you know, meditation and stuff like that. And I remember like, you know, James and I, we were staying together a bunch, like, you know, last few years that I was playing especially. And I know how like hard you worked at that, James, and like how – you know, things like that. It's just like, oh, like I like, you know, how many kids say like, oh, I just need to concentrate, you know, I just need to do this. I just need that. It's like, man, you got to work at it. And I remember you telling me like, you know, even like with meditation and stuff like that, it's like, man, I got to work at it. Okay. I remember like thinking to myself, I'm like, man, because it's not just like, I'll go meditate for five minutes, maybe do it again, maybe not. But if you really want that stuff to sink in, like you got to work at it. Yeah. So like one of the things like that would be cool, like if you just like share with us, like, you know, some of the stuff you've done in your journey to like get to this point where you realize like, you know, this is what I want to do, but it's also like bigger than golf kind of thing. Yeah. Great question. So shout out to my boy, Doug Worthen, who was a national champion lacrosse player at UVA and a, a good buddy of mine in college. And he was diagnosed with bone marrow cancer at age, got in his twenties. And we kind of lost touch after college a little bit. And we met up for a Bruins game. Like, you know, I'm going to say I graduated college. We got to college the same year in 2000. And it might have been like 07, 08. So I'm like, been on tour a couple of years. I'm flying high. It's like, 
you know, it's my off season. I'm like going out and having a good time, going to meet Doug for, for a hockey game, going to the Bruins game. He shows up. Now, mind you, he was probably 200 pounds in college. He's a big dude. He's like 6'3". He was like maybe 195 in college. He was like, couldn't have been 150 pounds when he showed up. He was fresh wow. off for his, for his cancer treatment. And, you know, it kind of hit me hard. I was like, man, what I'd already had like, you know, a bunch of drinks before I even saw him. And here he was showing up. He's got no hair in his head. He's 145 pounds and, you know, still a huge smile on his face. You know, he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like looking for any, he's just looking to hang out and have fun. His journey involved, he had an uncle that introduced meditation to him at a pretty young age, like then maybe junior, senior year of college. And then in his journey with cancer, he just like deep dove into the meditation. And I know to this day, he says that he wouldn't be here without the meditation or like the medical help that he received in the hospital. But like both things together, I think kind of gave him, you know, what it took to, to get past that. And, and now he teaches mindfulness at the Middlesex school in Massachusetts and also coaches lacrosse. But he tried to get me to go do one of these Vipassana 10 day silent retreats for like 10 years. And I was always like, yeah, sounds awesome, but not for me right now. But like over the years, it kept sinking in a little bit more and more. And at finally, I just like felt like, okay, this, I need to do this. He's been saying it long enough. I, it sounds crazy, but I'm going to jump in and do it. So they have these retreats where you show up on day zero, you check in your, you don't really check in your phone. You just kind of leave it in the car, but it's a silent 10 day meditation retreat where you meditate for 10 and a half hours a day for 10 days. You get up at four o'clock, you meditate from 4.30 to 6.30. You have a little breakfast. You can do some, like, you can do some light. You can't do any exercising, but you can go for a walk outside to kind of stretch your legs. But it's like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like when you eliminate all the distractions that we have in a normal life, like the phone, even just like conversing with a friend, like even just that moment of kind of distraction from what's really going on in your mind. It's amazing what it was the most life altering experience that I've ever had. The first one I've done two. And the first one, God, what this was, it was probably five years ago. So it's yeah, I knew you at the time. I remember you telling me about it and I'm just being like, wow, what does that feel like at day 10? And you said it was one of the most amazing feelings that you'd ever experienced. Yeah. I mean, there, so, I mean, day one, you're just like, what am I doing here? You're doing your best to follow the instructions. So you watch a video by a guy named S.N. Gwenka, G-O-E-N-K-A. And he was a Vipassana teacher is a Vipassana teacher. He's not alive anymore, but he still teaches through video because they basically videoed him instructing, leading a 10 day Vipassana course. They videoed him. And now they just play those videos to the courses. Like on the, on night zero, you watch a 45 minute video. It basically tells you what you're going to do the next day, how, what your meditation practice is going to look like. And then that night you watch another 30 minute or hour long video. He tells you he just kind of guides you through it every night. He gives you a little video on what you kind of might've experienced that day, what you're going to experience the next day. And just the highs and lows are incredible. Like you're sitting there and you're, and you have a job. It's basically to observe the sensations around your upper lip for three days, like the air going in and out of your nostrils. That's your only job. Observe any sensation you feel on this triangle right here from the corners of your mouth to your nose. And then on day four, it's like, okay, bring that sensation, any sensations you feel. And over, I didn't feel it three days. I was like, what am I doing? Am I doing it wrong? Or am I trying mm -hmm. too hard? Am I trying hard enough? And then day four or five, I was like, oh man, there it is. And then you take that sensation, you bring it to the top of your head and you go inch by inch from the top of your head to the tips of your toes for seven days, observing any sensation you feel in your body for seven days. Now, during that time, your mind's going to wander all over the place. Maybe it isn't if you're some like master somehow, but if you're just a normal human, your mind's probably going to wander all over the place for 10 days. And the practice is to bring it back to the job at hand, the task at hand, to just observe sensation without judging yourself, without getting up that. But when you sit still for an extended period of time, we, you never sit still for more than two hours at once during one of these courses, but even sitting still for an hour, like there will be physical pain in your body. Like whether it's your knees or your back or your hips or your neck or something's going to hurt if you don't move. You're in a kneeling position. Yeah. yeah, you can get like, I did, I went back and forth between kneeling and then some cross-legged and you can add pillows. Like they don't want you to be uncomfortable. They want you to be alert and a straight spine and still. They, and, but even if you got so comfortable, 
in an hour, you'll be in pain somewhere. I promise you. I'd be asking for like a lazy boy. To be yeah. like, I like sit in this chair, you know? I wow. think that you, you can be in a <laughs> fine straight. Like, I don't want you laying yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But over those 10 days, like the highs and lows were incredible because there are moments where you feel like a vibration going through your entire body. And then there's also times where you feel like every human that maybe you've ever kind of mistreated in your entire life is stabbing you in the lower back with a knife. And that's like kind of what I felt one time. I was like, wow. I felt like all the karma that I'd ever like kind of put out uh, a negative, like, you know, just cause I was unaware, not cause I'm like an evil person, but just like, you know, just like an immature ego driven human. I felt like there was a time during those 10 days where like the pain in my back, it was like, Every, you know, you can get up and walk, you can get up and, and walk around if you want, but then you can also sit with the pain and watch how it does eventually go away. And that's kind of like part of the practice, yeah. but it was, it's therapeutic kind of when your mind goes to like, you know, my mind did that time when I had so much pain in my back, I was like, this kind of feels like I deserve it. This pain in a certain, in a way, you know, and that's what mindfulness meditation is, right? Just, just going back and reflecting and, and, and things like that. There's an infinite number of styles of meditation, Vipassana meditation specifically is observing the breath, observing sensations in the body, but understanding that in that process, your mind's going to walk, but it's really not to sit there and contemplate. It's not to like observe your thoughts, like, observe your thoughts, but as soon as you catch yourself having a thought, really the goal is to go back to the body, back to the sensations in the body. Yeah. In the 10 days, your mind goes through rabbit hole to rabbit hole to rabbit hole. And like, and you have, and it's like, that's a trip. It's really kind of like a journey of like, cause you have no distractions. You have no, there's no TV. There's no phone. It's like all the thoughts that you bury, everything you've ever buried in your, in the yeah. back of your mind comes out and it's like okay now all those and that's going to be pretty interesting with those thoughts that are buried in your mind when they come out and then maybe where you feel the pain right i mean that's got to be kind of enlightening and being like yeah. what the hell is going on like you know deeply like you said, deeply emotional too oh i there were times where i had tears running down my face there were times where i was like like had the biggest smile on my face, felt full of love. And then there were times I felt full of guilt. And then there were times I felt full of fear. And then it's just like all the stuff that like, maybe don't, they don't have a chance to come to the surface because we all have a cell phone in our pocket to check an Instagram, or we all have like an email we could write or a, a person we can call. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's fine. But the, I think the only way to really know yourself is to really eliminate all that stuff and look inward and and vipassana is an amazing tool for that and it helped me a ton and that's the thing too i feel like the phone and like all that it's just a distraction of what it was oh, that you like realized right yeah 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 I, I don't think it's possible to get to that point of contemplation or self-reflection or self-awareness without eliminating all that stuff i just yeah. don't know how to do it. i mean can't meditate for 20 minutes a day and get there. Right. Yeah. Get to the same place you can get where I take your phone and I say, okay, you're going for 10 days. You're going to meditate for 10 and a half hours a day and call me when you're done and let me know what happened. Like it's going to be a journey that you can't experience any other way. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely like a cleansing of the body emotions and like stuff like that. At least like you're finally paying attention to it, which is like, yeah. you know, and, and I did another one a couple years later. And it was also rewarding, but not as like mind blowing as the first one. I think, you know, there's something for me, at least I don't want to project what it could be for anybody else. But for me, at least my first one was just more intense. Second one yeah. was a little bit intense, but still beneficial. But you talk about like, you know, what's the purpose of doing that? It's like when you want to, if you want to be able to execute a golf shot, not just one golf shot, but like 65 golf shots on a day in a round, it takes a certain amount of concentration during a certain, you know, I don't know if it's 20 seconds or 40 seconds or however long you want to come in and out of that concentration, but meditation is a great tool to practice your ability to focus. How, if you're a professional golfer or really a professional, anything that takes focus, like what are you doing on a day-to-day -day basis to help you improve that skill? Because obviously it's important. 
Yeah, I think Keegan did something along those lines, right? He kind of got into a almost a hypnotic state so he could kind of block the bad. And and that was something I've always admired about you is your ability to detach yourself from all the hub of professional golf and go do things like that. And that's something that so few players do. I know they have their the mental coaches and things like that, but doing these retreats seemed to really help you a lot. Oh, it changed me as a person. I, I look back at like my behavior in my twenties and thirties and I'm like, man, there was a lot of ego driving that train. And now I, I look at it and I'm like, okay, like I thought it for a long time, that's all I was, was the yeah. ego. I didn't even know there was another way to go. I didn't even know the way to just like observe the ego and say, okay, that's not who I am, but that's just, you know, a lot of what's consuming my mind. That's not really who I am. And then deciding who I want to be and what type of person I want to be. And not just like, you know, James, the professional golfer who feels like a hamster on a wheel and just like, you know, like that's not who I have to be. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, Still be a part of my life and it can be even a bigger part of my life than it's ever been but i have a better understanding of like you know maybe like where i fall in relationship with everyone and everything else yeah yeah um, yeah i, I <laughs> I've, I've been I've been dealt a, a slice of humble pie since I stopped playing in August, and I've had to do a lot of you know looking inward too. So I think I could benefit from from some things like that these retreats. So yeah, it's definitely you're riding high, and and maybe you treat people you don't necessarily you know the people that care about you you don't treat them the way that you think you should have. And, you know, now that I look back on it, I, there's a lot of things that I would have done differently when I was playing. And so, yeah, I, I need to, I need to start this meditation thing. I've been saying it for years and, and I think I, it's time to, it's time to, to dive in. Yeah. Uh, hey man, they have these Vipassana retreats all over the country. Some people use it as a way to travel because they're free. You, it doesn't like cost anything to go. You, it's like volunteer, it's like a donation based at the end. If you want to donate, you, you know, they're happy to take those. They're like anonymous donations. They don't even, because it's very ego less. Everybody helps each other, right? You know, do you prepare meals for each other? You, whatever. Yeah. So I did that too. Another time, a third time I went and I like helped cook and clean up after the meditators because it's all volunteer based. Like it's all free and it's all volunteer based. The people that are working there and yeah. So it's, it's not like if Will Wilcox goes, does, does one of these and wants to donate a million dollars, like they're not going to build a Will Wilcox center. You know what I mean? They're not going to say they don't, they, there's no like ego in any part of this. It's really like a place where people can, you know, hopefully find out who they are and, and just like, you know, maybe with that understanding improve yeah. like actions. There's a waiting list for these things too, right? Yeah. A lot of times there are like, I mean, obviously if you can book one out six months, you won't have a waiting problem, but like if you want to do one in the next month, depending on your location, probably wait, you probably have to wait. They have, you know, COVID's obviously thrown a huge curveball into the whole thing, but they have them all over the world. You can go to New Zealand and do a 10 day Vipassana and then get out and just go sightsee for a couple of days. And you just, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool, it's kind of a cool way to, and the courses are the exact same, no matter where you do them, whether you do it in Shelburne Falls, Mass, where I did it, or do it in California, that's like the exact same every time. Yeah. And you said you did one in New Hampshire one time, I think, maybe? No, I did two in Mass, all three. The, the one that I served and the two that I sat were in Mass. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's neat. So, so you're, are you in Jupiter currently? Are you you're down there? Yeah, I'm in Jupiter right now. Yeah. Uh, game. I, I wanted, I spent a good bit of the fall up in Brookline kind of hanging out with my mom and, and kept my trailer on my brother's front lawn and kind of stayed there a little bit, helping out with the old high school golf team. And I was actually looking forward to spending, you know, a lot of the winter up there, but then I got down here and it was just like, eh. whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't <laughs> even mention the barn, bro. The barn. Yeah. I still got to get up there. My brother, Paul built a barn in his backyard. That's just like, unbelievable. Know. Yeah, I was like, I was lucky enough. James invited me over there one day, and you know, Paul's the absolute man, and you know, great family, like great people, and like this barn setup he's got in there is pretty, pretty sweet. I mean, it's all you need. They got the uh, ping pong table, they got the darts, and then upstairs they got the simulator thing going yeah, on. Simulator. I mean, it's a yeah. sweet setup. I got him. Me about that. Gonna be a heavy bag hanging off one of those beams in the top floor next time we're back there. 
Oof, how about this, right? So one time, this is actually pretty funny. So James and I are playing the Mass Open. And this is like, I'm just starting to play again. And James is playing and he shows up to the putting green with like a pink soccer ball, <laughs> like a looking ball, like, or whatever. What was that golf ball you had? It was like a pink soccer ball, wasn't it? And then you start rolling and then we get to the first tee. And then all of a sudden I'm like, where's the pink soccer ball? And you're like, oh, actually, I got that figure. And like, you'd get like a good laugh out of it. But like, you know, you just literally looked at me like, oh, you're playing that? Like, oh, okay, like, fine. Like, you know, nothing surprises me with you, you know? And then you just says like a regular white ball, you know? Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> I, 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 like, I do weird things. It doesn't even phase you. So it's like, I no. can't. Get you by doing something weird. It's just not gonna work. Yeah, no, no. got his own after, smile. After this is like actually one like great story about James, which is like one of my all-time favorites. Like him and I, we missed the cut in Vegas, and I remember this is like the first time. Like you know, James is like he's got all these nice clothes. Like you know, he's put together. You know, he's like let's go shopping or whatever. So we go shopping, and I get this like John Varvatos jacket. <laughs> So he's, like, yeah, dude. he's like, yeah, dude, that jacket's sick. You know, get that one. <laughs> like, ring it up. It's like $400. I'm like, oh, fuck. All right. I guess I'll, like, buy this, you know. Oh, shit. <laughs> and then we miss the cut, and then we get a we get a cabana at Vegas. And that's when we had Kisner running around in his underwear trying to get in because we said it was a European bathing suit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, oh, man, I mean, I'm trying to think. What else happened that week? Uh, in 2010? Was that back in those days? That was 11. I think I had your credit card. Yeah, like, him and I, like, had, I took his credit card. He took mine. I charged, like, a bunch of money on his by accident, <laughs> like, you know, thinking it was mine. Who, mine? Yeah, I think that happened. <laughs> you and I, like, changed cards. But then the next week, we figured it out. We're like, oh, you have my card and I have yours. Yeah, maybe not the place to miss the cut. No, but then this is where, like, it got great, was Andre Gonzalez brought us out to that place in Vegas. Yeah, what was the name of that place? Well, this is <laughs> – you had those, like, uh, form-fitting shoes on that, like, your toes were, like, exposed or something like that. The things. Sandals, right? What were they? Golf sandals, I think. No, you didn't have golf sandals. They were like literally like toe shoes. So like rubble. They were like rubber. Like they literally like form fit your feet. So all his toes were like out kind of thing. Strengthens strengthens the foot muscles more. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. something like that. But like you know, we're like hungover and like vibrams. And Dre was like kind of nervous, like you know, because whatever. He's just talking to the head pro and the head pro is giving us a spiel. And I see like James, like kind of looking around and I'm like, Oh man, he's probably like like around stretching or something, doing something weird on the ground. Oh, you were doing, you were doing, no, you were just doing this hilarious, like gaze out there, like looking out at everything, you know, it was like a sick view from up there. And all of a sudden uh, he's like, have you guys ever played here before? And then all of a sudden, yeah, you know what I was saying. And then all of a sudden, he, he, James just kind of looks around. He goes, yeah, I've played here before. This place is on Golden Tee, right? <laughs> <laughs> that guy was, like, so horrified by you. It was unbelievable. He's like, no, this place is not on Golden Tee. It's like James I, is sitting there with his shoes like that. I was great. Hard ass. I really thought I played. No, that. I know. <laughs> then, I seriously did. No, no. And then you and I are driving the car down one fairway, and you looked at me like, I thought it was on Golden Tee. <laughs> Yeah, I still think it is. Dude, I still think I did play that place on Golden Tee. I didn't mean to offend that pro at all. Yeah. You know what? I think you did. I think you, Pope. you crushed that. Yeah, exactly. We need to ask Pope. Pope will know if it's on Golden Tee. <laughs> Too funny. That's great. I remember meeting Driscoll in some bar, and we were in uh, Charlotte, and I, I talked to Renner, and I was like, you know, what are you doing tonight? And the Bruins were playing, and he's like, oh, I'm at the bar with James. And I was like, James, who? He's like, Driscoll. And I was like, you're hanging out with James Driscoll. What? I was like, do you think it'd be okay if I came? 
And <laughs> like, of course, he's cool. He's not going to care. And then, then when, when, when uh, you know, he introduced me to you, yeah, we, we became pretty fast friends at that point. And then I moved to Jupe and, and we hung out a ton now. And we, the amount of times we jumped off my roof into the pool, I couldn't count it on 10 hands. But, but yeah, salt of the earth, James Driscoll, and uh, everybody needs to, you know, take a, a page out of your book. No doubt about that. I've always admired the way you do things. So I'm glad we touched on the mindfulness meditation because uh, mindful meditation, because uh, I think that's just a, that's a wild deal. And, and, and one day I really want to get involved in something like that just to just, I think it's just can help you as a person all, all together. So that's something that everybody needs to do in my opinion. Absolutely, but yeah. No. And I think like, I mean, James, someone like, man, like, you know, especially come being a mass person, like someone I always looked up to, like just such a good guy, like great family, like literally like the nicest people ever. And I mean, like a real role model for people. And like, you know, when sometimes like people like look at like, hey, how does my son, my daughter become like a professional golfer? I think a guy like James Driscoll's got an awesome perspective on not only how to be a good golfer, but how to be a good person. And like, just kind of realize like, man, you got to be like, yourself and you got to do it your way and you got to like you know there's so many different avenues you can look down and you know i think he's got you know just so much advice that he could give so you yeah. know for people out there that are looking for some good advice it wouldn't be a bad guy to hit up that's for sure yeah and you've been helping your high school golf team lately drew school i mean you know that's very commendable i'm sure those kids are just i mean absolutely blown away by by you doing that so and, and there's no everybody in your family that i've met i know you're one of nine or you're one of nine right children seven, seven yeah seven and all your brothers crack me up dude the stories that they had in the bahamas are just as good as it gets so but yeah i really appreciate you coming on man and and i'm glad we just let you talk but uh man t- taking time away from your evening was uh, I appreciate it very much. I know Renner does, man. I don't, I don't want to keep you any longer, but I hope to see you soon, man. And this was uh, this was awesome. This uh, thanks for being our first guest. This has uh, been been really informative and cool and great catching up. Absolutely, boys. Hey, thanks for having me. And anytime, if you want to revisit some other topics, you know, yeah. we are, there's a lot of topics out there to, to touch on. So, uh, kind of feel like scratch the surface. So let me know. I mean, I know you guys are gonna have some some huge guests on here, but down the road, keep me in mind. Cheertime.golf. I've been writing blogs. So cheertime.golf. I've got a lot of blogs. I write my little blurb past it. I give the author, you know, their props, but I've been doing a blog. So check it out if you want to laugh. Yeah. And so one thing I'd be uh, remorse if I didn't say this, still my favorite Driscoll quote of all time doesn't come from James. It comes from Jay. I mean, you know, like talk about ego. Like we got to talk about Jay for a second, you know? One of the funniest things ever is when the Bruins won the Stanley Cup. I remember like talking to Jay and a few other guys talking to Jay. We're like, hey, you know, it's awesome. Like, you know, you work for the Bruins and like blah, blah, blah. He goes, oh, what do you think? Like they were going to hire me and we weren't going to win the Cup? Like, come on. Uh, and that's his cousin, right? Jay Driscoll? Oh, yeah. Hot ticket, I think. He is the hot ticket. <laughs> yeah, no, but awesome having you on, James, dude. You're the man. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Love you, boys. Yeah, I love you too, dog. Peace. Later. Well, Renner, I say we go down and talk about a few more of these subjects from cheertime.golf. I wanted wanted to touch on Bo Hostler's great performance at Pebble, and I wanted to talk about a little Marky Baldwin too. I, I wanted to get your take on Bo Hostler and the fact that, okay, so he cans every putt that matters on the back nine on Sunday at Pebble and, I mean, makes everything. But then on the 72nd hole, he missed a five-footer, which cost him 180 grand. What's your viewpoint on that? Do you, do you, I mean, I don't think he, in my position, I would never harp on that last five-footer. I would think about all the solid putts I made before that. What would be your, you know, view on that? You know, the fact that he missed one putt. No, I mean, I feel that I'm sure, I mean, like, you know, if you play on the PGA Tour and, you know, have some good finishes and stuff like that, but there's, if you play on the PGA Tour especially, like every putt kind of matters. Yeah. So you can't really, like, you know, beat yourself up over that. Like, I remember, you know, if I've had, if I've ever had to make some putts for, like, some decent money, 
it's like money you don't even have. That's just yeah. the way I look at it. It's not like I had that money and I blew it. Yeah. Like I remember Duffner, he like, you know, he did something brutal. Like he missed a few pots, like short pots, especially on the last hole. And I was, he kind of said the same thing that like, at least I always kind of thought it was like, man, it's money you don't have. And like, yeah. you're out there playing the tour and, you know, a guy like Bo Hoster, he's obviously going to have like a tremendous career and yeah. like, you know, that will be like a, not a big deal. Like you can look how you made that up prior to the round that like, you know, the TV didn't see or whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. How do you always feel about that? Because I feel like that's a thing that a lot of people like look at like, oh, he just lost that money. And it's yeah. like, well, yeah. you have to have it before you lose it. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, nothing like is guaranteed. What I wrote in the, in my little blurb was that like you can't harp on that last putt and and if he would have made that putt he would have uh, locked up status for next year but he but he didn't and he finished solo third instead of a two way tie with Jordan Speed for second but in my opinion he throated every other putt on that back nine so I, I the articles that I read kind of kind of held him over the fire a little bit like like they kind of reamed him a little bit on it and I'm just kind of like. It don't work like that. It, it, it just seemed like it was coming from the articles that I read. It just seemed like it was coming from people that had never competed at a high level. I mean, I just think that he should be yeah. nothing but proud of the way he played. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got so many different ways of like getting to these people now as far as like social media and, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, even like we're talking about it now, you know, so you've got a billion people you know, talking about and breaking it down and looking at it for what it is. But, you know, the one person I bet that, like, doesn't really care about it right now is probably him. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, in Scottsdale, and he's playing great, and he'll probably parlay that into Morgan finishes. Yeah, like, he's got a great opportunity again this week to play well. I mean, geez, if you're a guy like Bo Hostler, it's like, man, like, I had a great week, and – why not go have another one? You know, yeah. yeah, like he, I'm sure like he's pissed. He like kind of messed it up a little bit in his own mind, but I'm sure he probably got over it pretty quick. He, I'm sure he's not sitting around playing the Phoenix Open worried about that putt. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's what I think like some people maybe look at it as because they look at it like, oh man, that guy had that putt. But like, He's going to have a lot of putts. Like, yeah, yeah. he's going to have many, many, but he's in the 126.50 category. So they're like, they're kind of using that. Oh, yeah. As, oh, he ruined an opportunity. But, but, anyway, so, so we have the kind of the same feeling on that. But uh, how about tell everybody about who you hung out with in your first, in your first Phoenix Open? You hung out with uh, the Barstool Sports people. That was kind of a cool experience in your uh, playing career. You, they rented a house over there, and, and you did a pizza review with none other than Dave, than Dave Portnoy. What, what was that night like? Oh, man, it was funny. I was staying with my uh, my college roommate's father lives out there, and I'm staying in his house, and, you know, everything's great. And, but, I mean, at that year, man, I was playing terrible. I mean, I was, I mean, I was sucking. <laughs> you know, I just was like, yeah, man. And then all of a sudden, my buddy Ryan Whitney, who has a, you know, spitting chiclets and playing the NHL, like awesome dude, love with yeah. Doc, the man. And he was like, yo, like, you should meet up with Fortnoy and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I mean, I was a Barstool fan forever. And, you know, that was when the Patriots were playing the Seahawks mm -hmm. in the Super Bowl in Arizona. So mm -hmm. it was a pretty, like, cool week. They gave me these shirts and everything like that. And that was back when that year's event. You could throw stuff in the crowd, and I was going to throw some barstool stuff. But then the tour said, no, you can't do that. But he gave my caddy a couple of shirts, which was dope. And Joe still has the shirts. But, Boo's old guy. Um, yeah, yeah, JoJo, yeah, Boo. And like, JoJo, I mean, he's one of the funniest fuckers I've ever met. But Pornoy gave us some shirts, and like the size of Portnoy's face on the sleeves, the sleeve of the shirt was like obnoxious. It was the biggest face I've ever seen. I was like, there's like three things, you know, you can see from space, like, you know, on that, it's like, you know, the Pacific Ocean, like the Great Wall of China and your face on the shirt. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. But uh, still, so, you know, got to hang out with those guys and, 
you know, long story short with them, it was kind of funny. I've always just been on the impression, like if someone invites you, so they invited me to their house that they were renting. And I had a noon, I had like a noon or one tea, one o'clock tea time the next day. They say I teed off early, but that's not true. But I go over there and like, to me, it was always like custom, like, yo, if I'm getting invited to someone's house, like I'm going to bring some drinks. So I just got like a 30 rack of beer. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of bring the 30 rack in and like, you know, they all thought that was hilarious. And I had like a few drinks and then, you know, someone asked me what I was doing the next day. And I said, oh, I'm playing golf. And, you know, they were like, oh, where are you playing golf? I was like, oh, I'm playing the tournament. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's where the, the people's golfer thing kind of came to fruition. Yeah, that's right? how it kind of, yeah. I guess, like, if you were going to look at it, that's how it started. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, those guys, you know, they were awesome. I mean, you hung out with Big Cat, you know, yeah. Yeah. and stuff like that, Chicago and Dante. And then, I mean, like, you know, fun guys. But yeah, I mean, Phoenix Open's wild, man. I mean, geez, you finished sixth there one year, which is like, yeah. oof, that, that's seeing some cool stuff. So, I mean, that what, was, was, what were the crowds like there on that back nine? They would have been insane. It was nuts. It was I birdied fourteen, which is unbirdieable unless you can hit an eight iron to the moon and the pin was up front. So that was the start of the round. I didn't birdie thirteen, which is very birdieable. And then I rolled in a twenty-five footer on fourteen, and then fifteen. Great birdie on fourteen, by the way. Fourteen is a nice birdie. It's ridiculous. That's a tough hole. That's, yeah, that's a that's tough thing. That's the thing now that people, you know, it's a perfect example of, you know, so I had 181 unadjusted to the front pin, and now I'd be trying to maybe hammer seven, and and but then I was able to take eight and hit it to the clouds, and I landed it, you know, I think the pin was maybe four or five on, and I landed it pin high, and it still bounced 25 feet past the pin. I think current will wouldn't be able to get even a seven iron to stop within 50 feet of that pen. So that's that's the thing about the PGA tour is, you know, you got to be able to hit it to the moon with a ton of spin or the ball's not going to stop within 30 feet of the hole, especially with those front pins. So yeah, it was nuts. And and I should have birdied 18 as well and kept my full card then had I done that. But that year, JD was there. So I had some good support and our boy, JD Guiney, and who's an Irish guy that lived with us in uh, Jupiter when we rented a house. But, uh, but yeah, it was nuts. I mean, that I've already three, of my last five holes to move from like you know 24th to 6th and then I went over and hung out with Jonathan K and Spencer Levine and we watched the uh, Super Bowl so what a what a trio that was and we had a great time and it was just a dream come true and then we you know go to Pebble I did okay there and the next thing I know I'm in LA playing at Riviera and you know you just you don't think that it's ever going to end and, and then I got injured that season and and then and then, uh, then I had the hole in one actually a couple months later so but yeah it's uh and I'm referencing the hole in one on the island green at TPC uh, Sawgrass so yeah 2016 was a really fun year and that was one of my years one of my few years with full status so yeah just Scottsdale's a crazy week and you know this week you know they turned 16 into a into a concert venue so there's actually concerts going on there on that hole and uh, is old dominion and thomas rett you know it's like i fear 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 the days of rock and roll are gone you know when you got country mans in there you know um i wrote i wrote in the blog i was like i think rock and roll kind of died when scott wyland passed of uh, stone temple pilots so yeah they were that era was pretty good i mean it was great like i mean i used to work at foxborough stadium information staff i mean Probably like, I mean, me and my buddies, we were the worst staff ever. We were, yeah. but we were lucky enough. I remember seeing Stone Temple Pilots there, and that, like, I got to see them yeah. live. They were like one of the craziest shows ever. So, a little off topic, but with Scott Wyland, yeah, that Stone Temple Pilots like concert was insane. Like, see them live. So, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I don't even like, I still listen to all the old school stuff. So, I know what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Sometimes like people like, oh, this guy's playing at like the Phoenix Open or whatever. I'm like, I don't know who the hell that is. Like, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. I don't know any of these bands, and but yeah, it's it's a wild, it's a wild tournament. It's happening this week, and it's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. And then one other thing that I want to bring up today that came to my attention today, yeah, 
was, you know, so the Corn Ferry is playing in Sarasota. Yep. Next week, I think. Yeah, either next week or uh, maybe they're in Bogota this week, perhaps. They're in Bogota this week. I think it is next week Sarasota happens. Yeah. You know how much it costs to play in a Monday qualifier if you're not a member? You were saying something crazy earlier. Yeah, what is it? Five hundred dollars. Five hundred. When we when we turned pro, was it a hundred or was it one fifty? It was something crazy. Fifty was- maybe. But I remember. I mean, I was talking to Drew, our agent, Drew Carr, great guy, and I was like, "Yo, I'm thinking about doing like maybe the Monday, you know, blah blah blah." And um, he's like, "Yeah, it'd be five hundred bucks." And I'm like, "I'm not freaking playing in that. Like, no, I'll, I'll hold off." I've got an invite to go play Calusa Pines like that Monday, Tuesday. I'll just go do that. I put a box. I'm like, hey, the, the pro member at Calusa? No, no. One of my buddies is down there. I'm just going to play a couple days, probably play with Welchie, maybe, or something. But, Mike, well, but nice like, man. I just thought, like, I just thought, like, man, like, you're, you know, like $500 to play in a corn ferry event. Like, yeah, I just think so. that's like that's that's like ridiculous. Yeah, isn't I mean, it? And, or am and I just it, like it absolutely is? And when we turned pro, there was seven spots on each course. Now there's maybe four on each course, and there's triple the amount of guys. Yeah, and like five hundred dollars. I was like, yeah, they're making it all the I was just like. That's that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean these guys, these guys are behind the eight ball, man. If you ever had to play your way up, man, these are I mean, the time is now. Like you've got to dump some cash. You better either have you better be born into money or have an awesome backer. I know, and I have to say this too. I probably would have signed up and I need this to go on the show actually. Mm-hmm. But you know, I would have signed up for the Corn Ferry event, but I played Ben Reichert today who you may know, he went to UAB. I call yeah. him Gentle Ben. Uh-huh. He, won a, he won a bunch of money off me today. He's going through a swing team. He had to be a prick, and he had to play really well. <laughs> he take all my money, so now I can't even play for the corn ferry. So I'm blaming it on Ben. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ben. Sorry. <laughs> the Blazers, dude, they won't let you – you know, they don't hold back. <laughs> ben, I know. They, I yeah. asked him to buy me a drink, and he said, no, he's cheap, too. So <laughs> – he plays good golf, but he's cheap. He'll probably have a bunch of money. Yeah, he's not going to run out of anything. He's not going to be blowing money on Caribbean vacations at all. Yeah, and then I guess if I was going to have one pick for this week, I talked to him a little earlier. I'm going to pick Sam Ryder to win the Phoenix Open today. I think he pulls it out. Really? Is he starting to stripe? I mean, he always stripes. He was he was striping, and he was doing some stuff with Shrives, which I love. I love Shriver. Yeah, so, yeah. Trevor's good stuff. Uh, you I know, feel like, you know, he uh, he's going to show himself this week. If I'm going to go with another Sam if not, Hunt. I will, if not, I won't pick him again, ever. Yeah, yeah, he's out. Uh, I'm going to go with another Sam. I'm going to go with Sam Burns. I think this course fits mm, him big. well. I think, yeah, I, 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 think, I think this course fits him really well, so I'm going to go with him. The Battle of the Sams. Son yeah. of Sam. Sam v. Sam. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Episode 2 and James Driscoll and Mr. Jim Renner and myself. It's all about that tier time. And thank you for joining us and talk to you next week. Yeah, I can't wait to keep this thing rolling. It's a beautiful thing we got going here. Let's just keep on trucking, bud. Yeah, 